We started our new series, A Life Without Regrets, and we said that if anybody is going to look back one year from now and they're going to have a life where they didn't regret, if it's going to be different from the previous year of their life, then, then they're going to have to do some things differently. They're going to have to make three crucial, crucial choices. Um, the first choice is we're going to have to choose to go with God. God has a plan for our lives, but what people tend to do is they go their own way and they don't follow God's plan for their lives and they end up with all kinds of regrets. If you're going to follow God, you're going to have a different type of life. You're going to have a different outcome from your life. Second thing we said is you're going to have to have good teammates. Too many people have bad teammates, people who, who drag them away from God instead of people that push them towards God. What, what Justin just said in the interview was any time in his life, I've known him for many years and he's going to share some more um, over these next weeks, but he's had people in his life throughout his life that tried to encourage him towards God and he would just turn them away, didn't want anything to do with their lifestyle and he has all kinds of regrets from that. So we got to have the right kind of people in our lives. God created us as social beings. He wants us to, to um, hang out with other folks. And so when he looked in the Garden of Eden, remember there was one thing about Adam in the Garden of Eden that wasn't good. That was that Adam was alone. So God created the physical family. And, and then when Jesus Christ came back to the earth and he walked the earth um, before, he was, before he was crucified and raised from the dead, he established the spiritual family, which is the church. And if your physical family isn't working, if they're kind of jacked up and you got some whacked people, we all do, God created the spiritual family as a replacement. If your brothers and sisters are no longer folks that you can hang out with, then God's given you brothers and sisters in the family of God. He's given you other folks that can serve in those roles if maybe your mom and dad weren't the type of mom and dad that you needed them to be. And the spiritual family will actually outlive or outlast the uh, physical family. So God created this deal. Now, let me, let me say this. If you are alone, if you're going through life alone, then you're not where God wants you to be. And I'm, I'm not talking about marital status. Uh, I went through that whole deal where, you know, I was 26 before Janie and I got married and every grandmother in every church that I was in had some ugly relative that they wanted to set me up with. And, you know, I got tired. I, I wouldn't do the whole, um, uh, <laughs> not that I'm a looker, but I, I do like to look. I can't kiss an ugly girl. I have to kiss a pretty girl. So that's why I waited. And I found Janie and, and she's a pretty girl. And I, I spend lots of time kissing her. And we'll talk about that in the sex series, um, uh, which is coming up in just a few months. But I'm not talking about your marital status. What I'm talking about is if you're if you're alone because some, some folks, God, you're not ready to be married. God's not going to bring you the right person that you're supposed to marry until you're ready. And so if you're not following God, why would He bring somebody who's, who's seeking hard after God? Why would, he, why would He curse their life with you if you're not seeking after God? Does that make sense? And if you're seeking after God, He's not going to curse your life by bringing you somebody who's not seeking after God. The reason we have regrets in our marriages is because we do stuff without God. So just that's, I'm not talking marital status. But I'm talking about God has provided the spiritual family so that you can have some people to connect with and do life with. And, and really, honestly, I'm closer to people in this church than I am my own uh, blood relatives. And that's because we do life together. And that's what God intends for the church. Now, um, the last thing we said, the last choice you're going to have to make is you're going to have to choose to go with God. And what that means is life is a journey. You never arrive spiritually. The danger we get into in churches is when somebody says, I am spiritual, listen to me, I have all the answers. And they, they think that they can just plant there. Well, as long as you have breath, if you're a Christian, God expects you to serve Him. You never retire. You never find anybody in God's Word who retired from God. You had people who turned their backs on God, went the wrong way, and they have all kinds of regrets. But no one who was serving God and close to God ever retired 
from God. You, you don't retire in the Christian life. So as, as I'm planning my future, I'm not actually planning to retire. I don't know what I'll do when I'm older, but I'll do something in service to God no matter where I am. And, and so we'll talk more about that. Now, what we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks is the life of Moses. And we're going to find out that Moses faced four questions. And today we're going to look at two of those questions. Next week we're going to look at the other two questions. And if you'll pay attention not only to what the questions are, but the way Moses responded to those questions, you'll find out um, how God prescribes for us to have an effective life. But in order to do that, we're going to have to kind of go back to the beginning. And you'll notice there's a spot on your listening guides, if you ever listening guides. Some of you are very visual, and so uh, I left a spot for you to draw. And you can draw better than me. You'll notice that all of my drawings are either words or blobs or stick figures. That's as far as I go. If you want to be more creative, you be more creative. So we're going to start over here, and I'm going to draw bigger. I didn't realize you on the back row last week couldn't couldn't see. We're trying to get a bigger board, but we, it hadn't come in yet. So, okay, over here we've got God. Y'all see that? Everybody see God. I'm trying to write large enough. I know you can't. Dude, uh, let's see if I can figure this out. Now, it's not in your face, is it? But it's going to flop. It'll just be a memorable service. Okay, over here is God. And, and you know, I'm going to put God in a cloud because he's not, that's not a flower, that's God in a cloud. You you draw your God, you know, we're going to talk about him and his, his um, attributes don't change, but you can draw that however you want to. Now, God existed before the beginning of time. And God had a plan for this world. And the Bible tells us that everything that was created was created by God. In fact, if you believe the first four words of the Bible, anybody know what those first four words, the very first verse of the Bible is? In the beginning, God. You believe those four words, you won't have any trouble believing anything else in the Bible about God. You won't have any trouble believing that God can raise people from the dead. You won't have any trouble believing that God uh, can part the Red Sea, that, that, that God can do all kinds of these plagues that we read about in Moses' life. In the beginning, God. You believe that, you can believe anything else is possible. Now, God created humans. Here we go with the stick figures. Now, Adam was alone. That was not good. And so God created Eve. And I'm not going to try to put any breasts or anything on there, but I will put hair. Now, God created Adam and Eve. And, and here's the thing. The Bible says that we were created in God's image. This was a very dangerous choice for God. Risky choice. Because in His image means that we have the ability to make choices. Which means we have the ability to choose to follow God or choose not to follow God. Riskiest choice God had in creating the earth was to create humans. And what did the humans do? And by the way, I made her taller, didn't I? That's all right. Um, what did God... God allowed them to make choices, and what did Adam and Eve do? They made choices that they went away from God. They disobeyed God. And so they, they had this sin nature that came on them. And God said, if you choose to eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Now, they didn't die immediately. But they died eventually, and they had this sin nature that came into their lives, and they were far from God. In fact, they go and they hide in the bushes when they hear God coming, and, and God says, why were you hiding? They said, well, we were naked. Who told you we were naked? Well, Adam starts with the first thing with, with, with the women. Well, the woman you gave me, he starts blaming women. Men have been doing it ever since. You know, so it started in the, in the first couple. He said, the woman you gave me, and the woman says, well, the, the snake, the serpent, you allowed to come in here, so God, it's your fault. So they started blaming God says, no, it's not my fault. God kills an innocent animal. First death recorded in history. God kills an innocent animal and covers them with the skin. 
This is a foreshadowing of what God's going to do later with Jesus on the cross. All the time, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So this is the first time an animal was killed. They saw it. They saw it was very unnatural. They saw what, what sin did to an innocent third party. Foreshadowing of Jesus. Now, God, God through Adam and Eve created others. You can put as many as you want there. You can put some with shiny. You can put an afro. You can do all kinds of things. All of humans came from Adam and Eve. And if you read Psalm 139, it says that God creates us, knits us together in our mother's womb. So Adam was created out of dirt. You can go anywhere you want to with that, ladies, about your man. He's created out of dirt. He's dirty. He, he can't help it. Now, now women, we can't do that because they were created out of a, a rib from Adam's side. And that's significant so that women are supposed to be equal. They don't have the same roles. We have different roles, but God looks at us as the same. He doesn't see male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. He sees us all the same. Now, we can't blame Adam for our sin, which is what some churches try to do. We, we all are sinners because Adam sinned. No. I'm a sinner because I sin. When I'm born, I'm not born a sinner. I'm born with the ability to sin. And I'm so good at it, and you're so good at it, that we sin. So we don't, we don't blame Adam for our sin. Now, God's got a problem when Adam and Eve sinned because God's whole deal, He created us because He loved us and He wanted us to be with Him forever. He didn't want us to live on the earth forever. So God has this, this plan. I'm just going to put up here God's plan. God has a plan, and part of His plan is that when you and I die from this earth, we spend eternity with Him. The problem, though, is that God is perfect, and heaven is a perfect place, and God can't let imperfect people into a perfect heaven because it wouldn't be perfect anymore, right? So God has this huge problem. He can't let us be with Him, but He wants us to be with Him. So He sent Christ. He sent Jesus to be the way, and according to the Bible, the way I get to heaven is I have to be adopted into God's family. And it's a simple process, but it's so simple that a lot of people miss it. What I have to do is I have to say, God, I'm a sinner, which means I have to be humble. And I have to say, God, I want to be adopted into your family. And when I do that, the Bible says, then I get to be in heaven. We'll just put heaven over here. And we're going to elaborate on that in a minute. Now, if God's only purpose was to take me to heaven as soon as I become a follower of Christ... He would zap me immediately. When I was six years old and I walked down the aisle of my church, He would have taken me then. But God doesn't want me right then. God invites me. This We'll take a bald one. This is me. God invites me to be involved in His plan. And this is a key point. And this is what we're going to talk about with Moses today. God invites me to get in on His plan. And I cannot stay where I am and go with God at the same time. That is impossible. And that's what we're going to see from Moses' life today. Now, the way I know all of this is from Scripture. And I'm going to show you a verse. I don't remember if it's on your listening guide or not. It's not. Read this verse up on the screen as I read it out loud. Ephesians 1, 4, Before the creation of the world, He, that's God, chose us through Christ to be holy and perfect in His presence. God chose us to be holy in what? Perfect through Christ. The way I get from my physical state into a relationship with God where I can eventually live forever in heaven is I have to come through Jesus Christ and be adopted into His family. So what God did was He sent Jesus to be this way. And when Jesus was here on the earth, Luke 19.10, He says this, 
The Son of Man, Jesus talking about Himself, that was His favorite name for Himself, was the Son of Man. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save people who are lost. So God's plan before heaven is to seek and save. Now this is an interesting thing. God says, my plan is I want to save as many people as possible. If you read the New Testament, you'll see that God's plan is He wants to find people. Seeking, you you played hide and go seek. It doesn't work if you don't go seek after people. God says He is seeking lost people, wanting to save them. That's His plan for the world. And He invites us to be involved in that plan. He wants you and I to do that. And in order to join God in His plan in seeking and saving lost people, we're going to have to answer some questions, same questions that Moses had to answer, and that's that will determine whether we have an effective life, whether we move with God and have a life of no regrets. So question number one, let's get, get busy with this. Whose am I? Whose am I? And the answer to that is be yourself. And I'll explain that as we go along. A lot of people uh, spend their lives comparing themselves to someone else. Well, I'm not like him. Here's, here's a little newsflash for you. You weren't created to be like someone else. You want a life of frustration, then then com- constantly compare yourself to someone else. God created you to be you. He made you for a purpose, and there's no one else in this world that can fulfill your purpose except you. And if you're ever going to live up to your potential as a human being, you're going to ha- have to ask yourself this question, whose am I? Am I going to live for God, or, or am I going to go my own way? And and see, now, a lot of people will at least give God this this little kind of passing glance. And they'll say, okay, well, I'll think about God, but, but I want to know something first. And they'll ask a question that sounds spiritual. They'll ask it like this. What is God's will for my life? And that question is an attempt at spirituality, but it's a failed attempt. It is not a spiritual question. Um, it's, it's as if God has all these different purposes. So here's Doug, and, and this is... I'm going to put me in the cloud because this is Doug's purpose. And over here is Jeff... And, and Jeff has his own purpose. And here's Justin. And Justin has his own purpose. And here's Janie. And I started to write her name. Here's Janie. And, and I gotta put a lot of hair on her. And God has, as if God has all these different purposes. And, and we, he just ignores his purpose. And people will say, Oh, what is God's will for my life? You see, my biggest problem is I want to be in charge. My biggest problem is I want the universe to revolve around me. You have the same problem. See, when I say, what is God's will for my life? That's the wrong question. You ask the wrong question, you get what? The wrong answer. The right question is, what is God's will? That moves the focus from me to God. And, and what we just read, what Jesus said was, was God's will was that he seek and to save people who are lost. Now, I want you to see this. This is really cool because, because this applies right now in 2009. January 11, 2009. This applies to us. Look what Jesus said. Jesus answered them, My Father is always working, and I too must work. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing on His own. He does only what He sees His Father doing. What the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus does only what? What the Father does. Jesus has said that, that He came to do what? Seek and to save. So Jesus had this mission on earth. And we, if we're going to claim to follow Jesus, we've got to do the same things that Jesus did. Now, we're going to get to uh, Moses, and we're going to look at his life, and we're going to see these questions. Moses was born into a Jewish family. And if you want to read this story, you talk about great reading. And it's not fiction, it's true. 
go to Exodus. It, it, Exodus starts with the history of Moses. Now, he was born into a Jewish family, and the fact that he was born in this Jewish family is not an accident. God had a plan for Moses based upon him being a Jew. But now, Moses had this identity crisis. You see, in Egypt, at the time that Moses was born, there was an edict that went out from the king, from Pharaoh. Pharaoh looked out. Now, this was a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. If you don't know Joseph, you've got to read the rest of the story. We talked about him a few weeks ago. You read that in Genesis. Now, this Pharaoh, the Bible says, didn't know Joseph. Joseph um, was, was the one who saved all of his brothers, which eventually became the Israelites, um, and they all moved down to Egypt. When they're in Egypt, they start marrying one another. They don't, they don't have, they can't marry into the Egyptians because that was forbidden for the Israelites. So they have all of these children. And the Bible says that they became prolific. That's exactly right. Like new life. That's what I said. And I actually wrote that in here. They were as prolific as new life. That's what I tell people all the time. I say, we, we want people to come to our church, but you gotta be fertile because we like to keep, we're gonna grow this church one way or another. If we have to grow them from birth, we'll do that. We're not against that. And, uh, anyway, so they were prolific. And the Bible actually says that Pharaoh looked around and he talked to his, his defense ministers and the folks around him and he said, these Israelites, they're getting too numerous. And in fact, they outnumbered the Egyptians. God blessed them so much that they outnumbered them. And, and this Pharaoh is pretty smart. And he says, you know what? If, if we have an enemy attacks us and the Israelites decide to join our enemy, they will destroy us because they're too numerous. So he puts out this edict and he says, we're going to kill all of the male um, Israelites that are born. All the Jews that are male, we're going to kill them. And he tells the midwives who go around helping to deliver children, he says, kill them. And the midwives, the Bible says, feared God, so they didn't. So when he finds out they're not doing that, he calls them back in, so why didn't you do this? And they said, this is cool, they said, well, the, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. The Hebrew women are very vigorous, and they have their children before we can get there, so we can't kill them. I thought that was pretty funny, y'all didn't. Anyway, so they have this whole deal, and, and then in the midst of this, then he makes this edict that the Pharaoh does, and he says, all right, you better kill. You can let your girls live because they were going to marry the girls and have children with them. But they said, your boys should die. That's the edict. Moses is born into this deal. And his mom, and, and we're going to read this just a minute, his mom said, saw that God had given her a special child, and she feared God more than Pharaoh, and so she put him in a little boat, and it's actually the same word used for um, Noah's ark, put him in this little bitty ark, miniature ark, in the river, in the Nile River, and sent his sister out to watch to see what would happen. Now, God is incredible and he's a God of details. And so what he does is he times this at just the time that Pharaoh's daughter is going to come out to take a bath. She's taking a bath. She notices something in the in the weeds over here. She goes and has it checked out. When, the, when they open up the little ark, Moses is crying and the Bible says that she has pity on him. And she takes him into, she adopts him as her own child. She says, oh, this is one of the Hebrew children. I'm going to keep him. Now, in, in a twist that only God can bring about, Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, actually hires Moses' mother to be the nursemaid to raise him for the first three to four years of his life. Only God can do something like that. God had a purpose in Moses' life. Now, we get to this point that we're going to read about in, in uh, Hebrews. There came this time when Moses had an identity crisis. He knew he was a Jew. And, and if he wanted to be the Egyptian, he was actually in line to be uh, Pharaoh. He would have a life of ease. He would have luxury. Everything he could ever want, he would have if he just pretended to be an Egyptian. But the Bible tells us that there is a point when Moses, uh, he was 40 years old, and, and God puts in his heart to go out and check on the, the Israelites. And he goes out and checks on the Israelites, and he sees 
an Egyptian beating the Israelites because they were slaves. They had no rights. And he had a, he had this identity crisis. Am I going to stay Egyptian or am I going to admit? Because if I admit that I'm a, a Jew, I'm going to be kicked out. I'm going to be identified with the slaves. This is not going to be a pretty life. Remember I said that you cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. So Moses had this humongous decision to make. Hebrews 11.24 It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be treated as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now I want you to circle the word refused. This means to totally disown. Moses refused the ease of life. And, and you gotta understand, turning your back on Moses was a big deal. And I got to thinking about this and I thought, well, let's, let's apply it this way. Jerry Jones is building a nice little football field in Arlington, right? We have friends there and my brother still lives in Dallas and, and if you're going I-20, as soon as you come out of, uh, uh, Duncanville, before you get into Grand Prairie, there's this little hill. And miles and miles away, you can see this monstrosity. When you're in, um, Bedford, Euless, Hurst Euless, Bedford, Colleyville, that area, 10, 15 miles away, you get on this one highway and you see this monstrous thing coming up in, in your view. And that's what we say. Oh, look, there's Dallas Cowboys new stadium. Now there's this one article I was reading online this week and he calls it Jonestown. Everything about it, he says, Jonestown is big. And, and Jerry's lined up all of these things. It seems like every week in the news, they come out with some big event that Jerry has lined up for Jonestown. The first game that's going to be played there, the first college game this next year, actually nine, is Oklahoma versus BYU. A&M and Arkansas are going to play there, and they've signed a deal to play several years there. Um, January 1st, 2010, I thought this was really strange, because the Cotton Bowl Classic will no longer be played at the Cotton Bowl. It will be played at Jonestown. Uh, February 14th, 2010, the NBA All-Star Game will be there. February 11th, 2011, the Super Bowl will be played there. 2014, the NCAA Final Four is going to be played there. Put that uh, picture up on the screen. Now, this is kind of the artist rendition, and this thing is massive. I just want to tell you a few few things about this. See that hole there in the roof? Um, the roof is 660,000 square feet. Now, that opening is supposed to remind you of the, the existing Texas Stadium in Irving. Uh, that's what it looks like. The, the opening there is 256 feet wide by 410 feet long. Let's give you a little perspective. That opening would be 10 of these buildings that you're in. Okay, you could fit 10 of our buildings. Our building is 60 feet wide by 180 feet long. 10 of these buildings will go into that opening. Now, there's this rack and pinion drive system that will open up this massive thing in less than 12 minutes. So just think five of our buildings here, five of our buildings here. Just imagine watching, watching it would take 12 minutes to open or close. Both end zones will feature 180 foot wide by 120 foot high glass operable doors that will open in 18 minutes. They will be the largest, tallest, Glass retractable doors in the world. Everybody say, whoo Yeah, y'all are excited. Now, this is what I really want you to see. See those screens there? Largest high-def televisions in the world. Now, there's actually going to be two of them. And you got to understand this. It's going to stretch from the 20-yard line to the 20-yard line. That screen, there's going to be one on each side. That screen is the same size as this building. You turn our building up on the side, you put another one here, you got the two largest big screen televisions in the world. And then on the, each end, so that the people, he said, so that the, the folks in the end zone, for their viewing pleasure, will be two uh, screens, big screens, that are as big as this room. You got one on each end. All right, you, you, you with this now. 
Um, it will be the largest single span roof in the world. 2.3 million square feet in the stadium. And it'll hold 80,000 people if they don't want to put more in there, but they can go to 100,000. Pretty sweet, right? One billion dollar stadium. Actually, a little more than a billion. Now, do you think being Jerry Jones's kinfolk would be a big deal? If I find out that by some ancient royal line, I'm descendant from, uh, from Jerry Jones, we're going to have to change our Sunday services. Because <laughs> I'm going. And either, either we're going to have to do an on location and I'm going to have to preach from Jonestown, or we're going to have to change the time of our services because I'm going. Now, can you imagine walking up to Jonestown first, any game, any game, and they say, oh, Mr. or Mrs. Jones or relative, you're important because your granddaddy or your great, great, great uncle is Mr. Jones himself. You're important because he's important. Imagine walking up the stadium and going, nah, I, I don't want to be known as his relative. I think I'll just sit in the parking lot and listen on the radio. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? Not as crazy as, as saying you didn't want to be related to Pharaoh. I mean, that just, you don't get to watch a football game. Pharaoh, it could really mess up your life. And it actually did. The next 80 years of Moses' life were spent in the wilderness and then leading around a bunch of whiny, complaining people um, because he chose to go with God. Now, he had a choice to make and he refused to follow Pharaoh and he, re- and, he, and he cut himself off from Pharaoh's family line. Instead, he wanted to do what God had made him to do. Now, you've got a choice to make too. Everyone here is being confronted by God. It's no accident that you're here today. It's no accident that our folks in the in the children's area, they're going to listen to CD later. It's not an accident that you're hearing this. You can be identified with God. You can get on God's plan. And if you do that, everything in your life, all the ups and downs, God says He will turn into good. He will make you look more like Jesus Christ. But if you go your own way and have your own will for your life, then you're on your own. Now, um, if you want your life to be regret-free, then I think it's time you chose God. Quickest way to an, to an ulcer is to pretend to be somebody you're not. So question number one, whose am I? Am I in charge or is God in charge? Is the world in charge? The world is anything that's in opposition to God. Is it, Whose am I? God's or my own? Now, I want you to look at the next verse. Hebrews 11.25 says, He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Circle that word, chose. What did he choose or decide to do? Well, that's question two. Question two is, whom should I blame or who should I blame? And the answer to that is, accept responsibility for my life. Don't say, it's Adam's fault. It's Eve's fault. She ate of the fruit. Women have been a thorn in our side ever since. No, you've got to take responsibility for your own actions. You can make choices today that will affect your future. I can too. And it's time that we accept those responsibilities because the Bible says if you do, then you'll lead an effective life. Now, this is interesting. In verse 24 of Hebrews 11, we see Moses refusing. He refused to be identified with with Pharaoh. In verse 25, we see him choosing. And that's the principle here. He chose God in verse 25. 
God never says, don't do this, don't smoke, chew, cuss, go out with girls that do. Don't do anything. God doesn't say that. But God says there are certain things that you're doing that aren't the best for you. So if you remove those things from your life, you've got to put something positive in your life. That's the way to succeed in the Christian life. So if you've got friends that are pulling you down, get new friends. Well, where am I going to get new friends? Celebrate recovery, small groups. Um, if you're a, a mom, we have muffins for moms that meet twice a month. You can find new people. The fact is you just don't want to. You're going to have to pull some some negative things out of your life, but in order for them not to come back and, and strangle you, you're going to have to put some positive things in their place. Christianity is not a negative religion, a bunch of do's and don'ts. Now, in verse 23, we see that, that God chose Moses. Verse 23 says, It was by faith that Moses' parents had hid him for, hid him for three months. They saw that God had given them an unusual child and they were not afraid of what the king might do. So God chose Moses as a baby, but when Moses, in verse 25, he said he chose God. Now, when did he do that? If you look back in uh, in verse 24, when did Moses choose God? It says, when he grew up. You see, a sign of maturity is choosing God. A sign of immaturity is choosing our own way. When he grew up, he chose God. One of the marks of a mature person is to accept responsibility for your life and don't blame other people. Now, God has chosen you, and the question is, have you chosen him? Society loves to pass the buck. It's not your fault. Blame your environment. Your mom put you in the wrong colored room when you were a baby. Your mom held your head underwater too long when she was giving you a bath, and so you have some really repressed emotions, so it's not your fault. You're a jerk. Blame your mother. Come on. At some point, you got to quit blaming others for where your life sucks. Look yourself in the mirror and take responsibility for that. Well, my parents, my parents were Christians or my wife is a Christian. Well, great. There's no such thing as a grandchild in the kingdom of God. You're either a child of God or you're not. If my mom was a Christian, Great, she goes to heaven. But if I don't ever make the choice to get on God's path, if I don't ever ask Christ to forgive my sins and lead my life, then I'm going to hell. That's the reality of it. My wife can be a Christian, but that doesn't get me into heaven. I don't get in on her ticket. It's a personal thing between you and God. And here's the deal. Here's the bottom line. Nobody can ruin your life except you. I know stuff happens. I do counseling all the time. And and stuff happens. And people make choices that, that we can't help sometimes and, and they do things and stuff is wrong. It's just wrong and God never intended for that stuff to happen. But what God's promise is, if you will choose to follow Him, whatever has happened in your past, He will redeem it. You see, when you're up here on God's path, everything that has happened to you, good, bad, horrible, God makes this something that will bring other people into His kingdom. And in fact, you're going to have some, some of the things that you're most ashamed of that have happened in your life. When you get on God's path, there's going to be somebody else down here whose, whose life is headed towards hell and they're just going to, they're miserable and, and they're dragging other people to hell with them. When you're up here walking on God's, here's His promise to you. He will make your worst nightmare in your past something that connects with somebody down here. Because, you know, a lot of people down here, what they say is, no one understands. 
And what God does is He doesn't wipe out all of that stuff from our past. When you're walking up here, God uses that to be a connection point to when you can say... Because I heard a a woman one time who was speaking. Her name was Dr. Helen Rosenier. And she was speaking and she she said, right in the middle of this, she just stopped and she said, "Um, I've never shared this before, ever. But she was a missionary and, and her village was taken over and she was raped by some of the people who she had helped. She was a medical missionary. And she was raped by some of those people. And she said, I couldn't believe. I had, I had doctored their kids and, and I had doctored them and they raped me. She said while she was talking, there was a girl over on the front row, young, about 16-year-old girl, who had her head down the whole time. No matter what she said, she's telling funny stories, she's telling all this stuff. The girl would not listen. And it was obvious that somebody had forced her to come. Dr. Rosenier said, as soon as the Spirit of God came over me, and I said, I've got to tell this story. It's not in my notes. I've got to tell the story. She said, as soon as I said, I've been raped, the girl pops her head up and makes eye contact and does not take her eyes away from her until the end of the talk. As soon as the talk is over, the girl sprinted up on stage. And she said, I've been raped too. And Dr. Rosenier said, I understood then why God had me share that story. And she said, please don't hear me saying that God had me raped. She said, that's not what I believe. She said, I believe people walking their own path made horrible choices. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And and they raped me and beat me. But when I, I'm walking on God's path, that God used that to connect to a 16-year-old girl. Do you understand what I'm saying? You walk on God's path and no matter what it is that's happened in the last six months or six years or... Somewhere back in your past, God will use that as a contact point between you and someone whose life is desperate. And when you make that connection, there is no greater feeling in life than walking away going, God, you used me to to reach out to somebody else. Your happiness will be determined by your character in life and your character is going to be determined by the choices that you make. The first choice is you got to be yourself. Whose are you? Choose right now. Are you going to be God's or are you going to be yourself? Second choice is to accept responsibility for your life. Yes, somebody may have done something horrible to you in the past. And you can live there and you can be bitter and you can hate your life for the rest of your life and everyone else around will hate your life because you're a bitter person. Because every time something happens to us, we have a choice. Am I going to be bitter or am I going to be better? And man, bad stuff happens to me and I want to be bitter. I'm just so spiritually mature that I want to get ticked off and angry and I want to be bitter. And either my wife or somebody else who's godly will will say to me, dude, you're going to practice what you preach. That's such a grace-filled thing to say to a pastor. And I go, oh God, I missed it again. I'm sorry. You got some choices to make. Let's bow our heads. I meet people all the time who say, man, I regret walking away from God. But I've honestly never met someone who says, dude, I regret following God. Because God does supernatural stuff that lasts beyond our lifetimes. And honestly, I want to do stuff that lasts beyond my feeble lifetime. Some of you just need to, in your hearts, you need to say, God, I need to get on your path right now. 
Last week, some of you were honest on your, your registration cards. You said, I've been walking my own path. And I'm, I, I applaud your honesty. But if you're going to live a life of no regrets, it's time to get off of your path. And so you just need to say in your heart, God, I need to be on your path. Some of you just done the thing where you've gotten on God's path, you've gotten off, and you've gotten on God's path, and you've gotten off. God will take you back if you'll just admit that to Him. Father, do a work in our lives that lasts for eternity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.